Our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and you feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The premium lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof. It includes an LED light, and it's made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toning Spray, both super practical, and they smell great too. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. From the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. High in the air, Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 101 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And the last time we were talking, we were uh, talking about the unstoppable Giants offense. I guess that's what we're still talking about. How you doing, Andy? 101 reasons why the Giants offense is better than you thought it was going to be. <laughs> oh, and I would have guessed like two before the season started. The, the Giants just keep hitting, and it's fun to talk about. I'm trying to rack my brain of what else can we say about it. It's just remarkable that the old guys are hitting, the young guys are hitting, the new guys are hitting. There's just a lot of hitting going on. There are guys they brought over from Korea are hitting. Alex Dickerson and Darren Ruff was the platoon answer in left field that every team is envious of who who knew <laughs> exactly exactly and so now the giants have used this uh juggernaut offense to win 15 out of 20 games can you remember the last stretch of baseball where they played this well over 20 games Ooh, well i mean are do we count last july yeah no that was a trick question last july there was <laughs> they were 17 and 3 at one point uh between june 20 or july 25th and august 16th so uh, they have played this well within the last calendar year, and I haven't looked at what uh, what their record has been since that streak started, since that wild streak started. Oh, you know what? I screwed up the dates. Uh, it was June 30th to July 23rd of 2019 is when they were 17 and three. I was, I was reading the dates of a 2001 hot streak, but anyways, I don't, you know, know what their record is since last July started, but it's gotta be pretty good. This has to be a pretty entertaining calendar year of baseball, I guess longer than the calendar year. Yeah, I would say so more, more entertaining than say, Oh, I don't know, September of uh, 2018 Mm. or eh, pretty much anything in 2017 or, you know, (laughs) Maybe the second half of 2016, they've got a winning formula, and that is we're going to get a well-pitched game, and we're going to 
support the pitchers and we're going to protect the lead. And maybe that lead will be so big, you won't even care about who which relievers are out there. Then there are other days where they are just going to come back. And if they don't get a very good starting outing from a pitcher, the message is hang in there, uh, Logan Webb. Just give us five and, and, and limit the damage because, you know, we're not out of this ballgame. And that's a, a sense of belief that I think uh, every team tries to sort of foster. But when you see it in practice and you see it a few times, uh, then it's pretty easy to actually have that belief. And it's team-wide. And, and when the pitchers are believing along with the hitters that, you know, you're still in the ballgame, then it's really, really easy to stay kind of mentally in it. And and that, that I think that makes a difference over, over the course of a season. And even though it's a small sample and it's a weird season, and we know there are a billion reasons why this is not comparable to any other year, there are things like a ballpark that might be a little more lively than it's been. There's things like, things like uh, there's a DH that the Giants have never had before in home games. Uh, but, you know, th- I think we can say by now that this is an offense that is quite a bit better than league average and um, it's making a big impact in in what they're able to do now uh, just to go off on a little tangent aesthetically how do you like the DH this year how how have you reacted to it how are you adjusting to it are you grossed out by it are you already used to it uh, what are your thoughts so far you know I think I think it's probably like um, oh gosh let's see one time I went to a restaurant and they had a peanut butter and bacon pizza and I thought that sounds like the worst thing in the world <laughs> and I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. And so I would say that the DH is kind of like a peanut butter and bacon pizza. I don't hate it as much as I thought that I would. Um, you know, it's, it's. I don't know, maybe it'll be different in, in, if you view it in a full 162 game season with fans and everything's back to normal. And then that's the one weird thing is there's still a DH in the National League. But I haven't really minded it. You know, it's I, I do enjoy the extra calculus that a manager has to employ with double switches and, and when to take out a pitcher and when the pitcher spot is coming up. And um, But yeah, it's, I think for the most part, I, I, I've kind of been okay with it, which shocks me a little bit. Yeah, that's how that's basically my thought is I, I thought I was just going to be annoyed all season and it really it didn't grow on me quickly. It just sort of faded away quickly and it... it, it because pitchers hitting, there was really a lot of bad pitcher hitting at bats, and I don't miss those. I miss the quirkiness. I miss Bumgarner hitting a home run, or I miss, I miss the unexpected uh, bloop double from a Jeff Samarja or something. But overall, I don't know. I, I kind of don't miss it. And and now that the Giants are hitting, I, I kind of enjoy the fact that they get to stuff another hitter in there, whether it's Darren Ruff or Wilmer Flores, they don't have to play mixy-matchy so much. They can just shove another guy in there who happens to be hot. Maybe if the Giants were hitting like they were for, oh, I don't know, most of the last decade, it wouldn't be as fun. If they were a pitching first team, it wouldn't be as fun. But now that they are an offense first team, it's kind of fun. You know, maybe the quirkiness gets replaced or shifted over to the other side. And just instead of those Santiago Casilla plate appearances, and and which I know you wrote uh, a, a really nice compendium about uh, basically some of the, the really weird fun stuff that we, we'd miss with pitchers not hitting. If we have more position players pitching at the end of blowout games, which I think has been a trend in, in the game lately, and I, frankly, I've been surprised that the Giants have only had one of those games so far this year because Gabe Kapler really liked to do it in Philadelphia. Um, you know, maybe that will sort of 
scratch our quirkiness itch, I guess, in a different way. And you just made me realize that now that Brandon Belt's hitting, they're not going to use him as a pitcher. I, I thought that this guy would have a <laughs> 600 OPS and then like, hey, screw it. Throw him out there for an inning. Let's have some fun. Maybe he can strike out Clayton Kershaw. Uh, but we're not even going to get that. We're not even going to get that. That that Will we ever see Brandon Belt pitch? I don't think so unless he's like at the very end of his contract because managers will never say this, but they always put like the most fungible guy out there on sure. the mound. It's it's never going to be, hey, you know, uh, Buster Posey closed in college. Let's see what he can do. Right. It's Drew Butera. Exactly. You're always going to see the last guy on the roster or the guy where he does, you know, blow out an elbow ligament. You know, he won't be someone really, really important like, say, Jose Canseco. Oh, wait. Oops. Actually, Jose Canseco <laughs> did that. Um that might be the one exception to the rule, or maybe that's the that's the uh, the reason that managers are are wary of, of putting stars on the mound because of what happened to Jose Canseco. So yeah, Jose Canseco went out to pitch. He'd he'd been pestering his managers for I don't know a, a decade plus, and I was doing research on a piece years ago, and the, I dug into it. And he states, and he's very, you know, he's very vocalized. He says, that is not the outing that blew my arm out. And you're thinking, oh, okay. You know, he says, I take, you know, umbrage with that. It, that was not the outing that blew my arm out. My arm was already really, really sore long before that. <laughs> it's, it's, wait, wait a second. That is just the Jose Canseco mindset. It's like, yeah, I got a sore wing. What's the worst that could happen? Uh, throw me out there, Skip. And then, you know, I'm sure he didn't exactly have a heart to heart with his skipper about how his arm felt and and that's the Jose Canseco story in one anecdote. Wow. Yeah, that's that, that's pretty remarkable right there. Yeah. I I don't think players are going to do that these days. I think they're a little little hipper to the idea of be vocal when something hurts. Yeah, and I think when um when the Giants did have a position player pitch, it was Tyler Heineman and he was I think one of his pitches showed up as a curveball and he was asked was that really a curveball and he's like oh no that was a lob ball and he made no pretense about you know I'm not out there trying to have fun I'm just trying to get us off the field and I am just going to lob it in there and hope you hit it at somebody and this is all business um, so it, it wasn't really as as fun as, as some of the other appearances have been um, you know but I, you know the one that that sticks out for me when I was covering the Dodgers uh, you know many moons ago um david ross was a a rookie catcher with the dodgers at the time and mark grace came in uh for the diamondbacks when the diamondbacks were losing like 23 to 1 or something like that and uh and he came in and he did his mike fetters impression where he like you know huffed and puffed on the mound and then and then all of a sudden snapped his neck to look in for the sign and and everybody was laughing and it was great it it broke the tension for the diamondbacks it was a terrible day and david ross hit a home run his first major league home run and it came off Mark Grace, and, and Mark Grace was great talking about that. And he said, you know, poor guy, his first major league home run, and, and it's off Mark Grace. And, and what does that guy do uh, about 15 years later? He's wearing a Cubs uniform, and he hits a home run in Game 7 of the World Series for the Chicago Cubs. So uh, who knows? Who knew how David Ross and, and Mark Grace would be linked in, in Cubs franchise history? We will be back after this. My favorite, uh, real quick, is is old Giants friend Brent Maine, uh, because he, when he pitched, he had to pitch in the tenth inning 
of a game at Coors Field. And it wasn't just Coors Field. It was Coors Field in the year 2000, which is one of the wackiest combinations of ballpark and era and offense. I mean, you you know, you know, had pitchers with a ERA close to six, and when you adjusted that ERA for league average, it was close to league average. So uh, Masato Yoshii had uh, an ERA of 594 uh, going into the game, and it was like a 99 ERA plus. Like, I just average. And Brent Main went out there in that environment and pitched a scoreless 10th inning and he beat John Rocker and there's just so much going on in the story. I I wrote a billion words on it once upon a time, but that's my favorite pitcher position player pitching. Was he the first position player to get a win in like, I don't know, a long, long time? I think so. I think uh, Rocky Colavito might've been one of the first ones and it was like in the 60s rocky uh, yeah it was the first time a position player picked up a win since 68 when rocky colavito pitched two and a two two and two-thirds innings in a doubleheader and like rocky colavito was just he was a great player but he was like no joke as a pitcher he was someone that if the manager needed to put in the middle of a doubleheader he would just go out there and pitch two and two-thirds innings which is an anomaly i don't think we'll ever see again well you know now we've got uh you know, I got the Otani, so I guess I, I shouldn't say that. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think we're going to see more of those types of players, those two-way players. You know, Jake Cronenworth with the Padres, he could be the rookie of the year. And one of the things he hasn't dusted off yet is the fact that he's kind of a two-way player. Oh, and I didn't it was thought that. of that way. Yeah, and, and so you may see him out there on the mound at some point. Well, maybe not. The, the more valuable he is as a player, again, feeding into our larger conversation, the less likely you'll, you'll, you'll see him on the mound. Well, that's a good segue to talk uh, Padres, because I'm busy writing about the Padres and how they're uh, similar to what the Giants are doing now, uh, how they are different. Uh, they have the second best record in the National League right now. They are an offensive juggernaut. They just acquired Mike Clevenger and a host of other players at a very, very busy trade deadline. This is a really, really good team. And before we start, I have to point out, they finished behind the Giants last year. They were last place. Do you remember that? Because I don't remember that. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it was one of those deals where I think they were a trendy spring training pick a year ago to maybe arrive a little ahead of schedule. Because we've we've seen so many of that. The, The Braves got good a little bit ahead of schedule. The Cubs got good ahead of schedule. The teams that sort of were in that prospect uh, hoarding mode. I really did think the Padres were going to be better than they were last year. And you know, a number of things happened to them on the pitching front. And and one thing that was very much underneath the radar was Denelson Lamette getting hurt and, and having Tommy John surgery um, because he looked like the best pitcher in spring training two years ago, like the best guy in the league. And uh, uh, I drafted him on my fantasy team and, and then he didn't play. So um, the fact that he came back was like you know, people were talking about all these other guys that they have, and Lamette might end up be th- being their best starting pitcher, and he has been terrific. So you know, they're getting good starting pitching. They're just hitting the the bejesus out of the ball. Uh, they've got the MVP of the league, who's 21 years old and is going to be good for a long time. Fernando Tatis Jr. You know, their one their one flaw is is Kirby Yates got hurt, and um, and Emilio Pagan I think is still on the DL, though he's he might come off the DL today. And you know, they've got Drew Pomerantz, who's who's been used as their closer a little bit lately, but there's maybe not quite as much in that bullpen. Uh, but then they, they've got guys that they're calling up left and right that they can shove in there, and they're all exciting players. So, yeah, the, the Padres, I think, were probably on the cusp last year, and if some other things had broken right, then maybe they could have been a little bit better than they were. But, you know, man, yeah, that's it's it's a fun team to watch. It's probably the most fun team to watch in baseball. Yeah, and I know I've talked about it on the podcast, but I, I just I just sit there and mumble James Shields in my sleep. I just I can't believe that they got Fernando Tatis Jr. for uh, a busted, broken-down James Shields. 
But there are just... It, all right, so the things that are going right for them are they have Tatis Jr. that he's be blossomed into a super-duper-duper star. And he is still just 21. And he is a, a player who went from can't-miss prospect to superstar. That's something the Giants don't have yet. That's something they're not guaranteed to have, but they're hoping to have with Marco Luciano. Uh, but that's, that's still a ways off. Uh, the Padres have spent a lot of money on players like Eric Hosmer and Manny Machado. The Giants have tried to do that with Bryce Harper and, and, and uh, Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, they haven't quite done that yet, so that's another difference. Uh, but I, I, the pitching is what stands out to me, the the lament, the, the idea that you can trade for a Chris Paddock and then sort of weaponize him, uh, scouting a Zach Davies, getting him over and, and having him pitch much better than he was with the Brewers. The Padres pitching pipeline seems a little bit more developed. And if I'm going to put my finger on one specific difference that needs to improve for the Giants, I think it's that. Yeah, probably. And, and, and you know, I hate to, to, to be, I guess, a little bit, I don't know if this is being a pessimist, but we haven't even seen the best of the Padres young pitching. I mean, Mackenzie True. Gore is supposed to be one of the top five players in all the minor leagues. And, Luis uh, Patino and hasn't done much yet. And he has not contributed much yet either. And yeah, and they go out and they make a bunch of trades. They're they're aggressive in trying to take advantage of their situation. They you know not only get uh, Mike Clevenger, but they brought in Trevor Rosenthal, uh, who when we were talking about the bullpen, I forgot to mention. Um, so yeah, you're right. Um, there, there's just a lot more in the pipeline. And their center fielder, uh, Grisham, you know, they go out and they, they take a, a Luis Urias, who looked like a really good a prospect with a great hit tool, but they saw a guy who was blocked a little bit, who maybe was overvalued within the industry, and they go turn him into, you know, Zach Davies, and and not only that, but but Grisham, a, a pretty darn good defensive center fielder as well. So, uh, yeah, they're they're definitely being aggressive in 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 not only just waiting and sitting back and, and letting these young players come in and, and and turn the tide, but they're they're doing more to support. Uh, this wave that's cresting in the big leagues. And and yeah, they're kind of hitting on all cylinders right now. One of the things that they've done that is a little bit similar to the Giants is they have taken some players who might have uh, been disregarded a little bit in previous seasons. Uh, Jake Cronenworth was the name you brought up, but he was not a top, top prospect. He was he was a guy uh, who was had a ceiling maybe of poten- uh, utility infielder, perhaps a guy who could do everything, maybe a two-way player, uh, but he's blossomed into something uh, really special, high average. Uh, he, he's fast. He's athletic. Uh, he's only a year younger than Manny Machado and Jurickson Profar, you know, so he's not uh, this big time prospect. He's he's a late bloomer. And that's something that the Padres Padres have done and they are continue to doing. There's a, a Will Myers renaissance going on, which is, should be terrifying to the Giants. They're <laughs> they're doing a lot of things, a lot of things right. And I, I can't believe I'm actually saying this about the Padres. Yeah, Cronenworth, um, you know, I, I was in uh, Japan last year and uh, covered the Premier 12 uh, tournament in the U.S. Uh, narrowly missed qualifying for the Olympics, which ended up not happening this year. Um, but uh, Cronenworth was a member of that team and uh, he, he was a, a good little player. Um, you know, he's obviously a part of the Tampa Bay Rays system. Um, so they're pretty good at evaluating their guys. But yeah, you're right. He was sort of seen as a complimentary piece. It was the 
Joe Adele's and the Alec Bohm's and you know uh, those were the guys who who were seen as as the stars. Uh, Andrew Vaughn, who a former Cal guy who um, is in the White Sox system. Um, so yeah, Cronenworth was sort of just another guy who who was not really viewed as one of the the big time stars on that team. But then you look up and you know he's he's probably going to win Rookie of the Year. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck was on that team and he's had a great debut with the. Um, with the the Red Sox, I think he hit like four homers in his first five games or something. And uh, Brent Rooker was was really good for the Twins, and he's up in the big leagues now. So um, yeah, Cronenworth did not really register on the radar with some of those top guys, but he's he's outperforming all of them. Yeah, and to your point that we haven't seen the best of the Padres pitching, uh, Chris Paddock is one of the the guys that the Giants will see in this series, I believe. And uh, he is a little bit of a riddle wrapped inside an enigma because he hasn't quite put together that season that everyone was, was expecting, especially after his start last year. But of all the pitchers, including Lamette, including Clevenger, he scares me a little bit as, as far as a guy with that preternatural command and bat missing skill you shouldn't be able to miss bats and avoid walks quite like this when you're you know under 25 yeah i mean he's he's just got that great uh, change up and he can throw pretty much two pitches all the time and find a way to to get through a lineup and and like you said he's not having as good a season as he did last year, but he's he's a guy that the Giants have struggled against. I want to say they had one good start against him, and and, and the Padres do enter not exactly you know at a hundred percent. I think that Eric Hosmer uh, is on the injured list right now. He just had a finger fracture, so they're going to be missing him. But yeah, that that's the thing. You can you can face a team, and it's like wow, this offense is pretty scary. Uh, how are we going to navigate four games and hold this team down? Or you can face a team and it's like, oh man, we've got to face these pitchers. This is going to be a challenge. And the Padres are, are in that sort of sweet spot where they can beat you both ways. <laughs> and and they're they're kind of intimidating on both fronts. So, uh, And there's seven games left against them. So they're definitely trying to... Uh, I think I saw a couple quotes from, from a couple people in their clubhouse. They swept the Rockies, who were in third place at the time, and, and were kind of the team that was closest to nipping at their heels for second place, which is an automatic playoff spot. And they said, you know what? It was our job to sort of pin those guys down and put on the accelerator and and create some separation. And we did that. And now the Giants are the third place team and and we're going to try to do the same thing. So this this is a team that knows what it can accomplish in this series. It can pretty much cement, you know, if they take three or four or or even sweep, they're going to lock down that number two spot in the NL West even even it'll be even more solidified for them. And I think that they're going to be motivated to do that. All right. I'm going to describe a player not using his name. Let's see if you can guess who this player is. It's as if Tim Lincecum and Rob Gronkowski had a baby. Uh, Rob Gronkowski and Tim Tim Lincecum. Oh boy. Um, Hmm. And this is a Padre player? Well, I'm just gonna, I'll, I'll just give it to you because maybe I don't think my description is as clever as I thought it was. It's Mike Clevenger because he's like a really huge Tim Lincecum. He's six oh, four, okay. but he's got extreme Lincecum vibes with with the hair, the mustache attempts, uh, and just just a general vibe. But he's also a little bit more. I don't know, uh, a little bit more Lincecum than even Lincecum was, as far as the just chill you know what i mean yeah he's definitely the skater dude i think uh, he and tony hawk are already uh becoming buddies now that he's in 
in San Diego. So um, yeah, he's you know he's always got the tattoos, and I think the sunshine thing is sort of his personal personal motto. And you know I I don't know if I think the Indians have denied that they traded him because he ran afoul of their protocols. But clearly, there was uh, it was not uh, going well for him within that clubhouse in Cleveland. Yeah, it's he, he starts with a clean slate, and that's probably good for him. And the Padres, meanwhile, get a guy who's been one of the better pitchers in baseball over the last several years, and that can only help them even more when they get into uh, these short playoff series. Now, what do you think about the? You know, I'm not asking you to to evaluate all the minor leaguers the Padres traded, but the general concept of what how they got Clevenger was more of a quantity of quality rather than trading a guy like Mackenzie Gore or their very, very best prospects. They basically rated their, you know, a couple of guys from maybe the back end of their top 10 and some assorted pieces from their major league roster to get Clevenger. Is that something, if you're running a major league team, do you prefer to do that? Just just send five guys from the back of your top 10 and top 20? Or would you prefer just, uh, you know, hope hope for the best and here's your Phil Bickford type? trade? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I I think it's probably going to be different for depending on your point of view or what you're motivated by. I mean, in a sense, if you give up a package of five prospects and you're opening yourself up to the risk that one of them is going to really, really pan out and become a superstar impact player, I think you just have to trust your evaluations and trust your your people and and the handle that you have on your own players. And that's something Brian Sabian always used to say is, is you have to know your own system better than anybody else and not just know it better than anybody else, but really, really have a familiarity with it, not just assume that, oh, they're they're your guys, so you know more than anybody else. I mean, you you really have to have a handle on, on, you know, who's got the development ceiling. And and that's tougher because guys are developing in different ways now, and guys are able to unlock potential in, in different ways. And sometimes... Uh, in the case of a Mike Yastrzemski, y- you don't see it coming, um, or there is something that you know you get a guy in front of some some data, or or get him in front of the right coach, and and they make some changes, and all of a sudden they're, you know, uh, an everyday player in the big leagues, and maybe even an impact player. So. Uh, in a sense, you, you have that big deal where you give five names, uh, that, that that's five more chances that one of them can come back to, to burn you. But, you know, I, I really think that if you're doing it that way, you're thinking too much about your own reputation and not thinking about, you know, hey, let's make these evaluations. Let's, let's you know, take the emotion out of it and let's, uh, let's do a deal that we know is going to help our organization now and in the future. And... You know, it's it's the toughest thing to part with are your top top prospects, but I think when sometimes you have to have to do that to, to get a deal done. And the more inventory you have, the more volume you have, the easier it is to do that. Yeah, I, I go back and forth because it, where baseball is right now, it seems it, it's not statistics. It's it's biomechanics. It's taking a guy and teaching him how to get more depth on this pitch, how to how to maximize velocity in this way, how to tap into raw power for a hitter. And it seems like some teams will see how to do that where other organizations, even if they're really good organizations aren't quite able to tap into that the same way so when you're sending you know guys five guys that way i'm always just so nervous that one of them is going to be the the guy that the other team will unlock i mean mike clevenger the angels traded him for Vinny pestano and i don't even know what 
Vinny Pistano plays. You know, I think he's a reliever. And the Indians were able to tweak him and unlock him, and now he's Mike Clevenger. And when the Giants traded Luis Castillo uh, for Casey McGee, they just said, here's a raw arm, and that was unlocked, you know, by the Marlins and then the Reds. So I, I just worry about... All these players have physical talent that that got them to be a professional baseball player. I, when you start doing these quantity of quality things, they they just make me so darn nervous. You know, I, I love I love a good Vinny Pistano um, <laughs> as an as an appetizer. Um, oh, the, make sure the basil's fresh and yeah, it's delicious. Um, Pepperoncino on it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but uh, a little glass of wine to go with that. Um, yeah, you're right. It's we can look back in baseball history and be like, what? Uh, you know, uh, John Smoltz was traded for Doyle Alexander, or or you know, Jeff Bagwell was traded for Larry Anderson, or you know, in the case of you know, rest in peace, Lou Brock for Ernie Broglio. How how do these things happen? But they still happen. We still have trades that uh, absolutely have come back to to bite people, and and sometimes star level players, and and. Um, you know, sometimes it comes down to your evaluation and you don't have room on your 40-man roster and someone gets squeezed out and all of a sudden there's an opportunity for another team if they're looking closely. And, and I think we know by now that Farhan Zaidi and the Giants are, are looking very closely for, for players like that. Yeah, I think I'd make a terrible GM just because I'm a weenie. And I would, I'd be so risk adverse and I would always be pushing to do the, the easiest things like, why don't you sign Madison Bumgarner to a long-term extension? What's the worst that could happen there? Uh, that extremely risk averse and it would be a, a fan friendly move and boy, the Giants are probably pretty glad they don't have Madison Bumgarner right now. I mean, the last time we talked was a post Bumgarner start and we brought him up in passing. Like it just, it's so obvious that 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 was a little bit of a risk for the Diamondbacks now in in retrospect. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was, it was just an unremarkable start in a lot of ways because, you know, there weren't fans there. And that, to me, that was the story is how fans were going to react to him and what kind of reaction you can get out of him. Uh, it was just basically all business. He was coming off the injured list. He wasn't 100%. He was only going to throw about 70 pitches. This was not sort of what we were going to see out of Madison Bumbar. Now, I will say this. If you're watching the Giants and Padres game uh, tonight, this will be Thursday night, and it gets out of hand, or maybe the Padres are winning like 18 to nothing or 29 to 9 or whatever the hell you want <laughs> numbers you want to throw out there, you could possibly, if you have uh, an MLB package, flip over to the Dodgers-Diamondbacks game and watch Madison Bumgarner pitch against the Dodgers. That Ooh. probably would still be interesting. Ooh, I, th- I think interesting is one of those ambiguous words right there because I, I think the Dodgers are set up to be one of the teams that crushes uh, a lefty with not a ton of velocity. I, I'm not, you know, his command is still there, but he's working on limited velocity and still trying to bust hitters on the inside with that with that cutter. And yeah, I just don't see that being a matchup. And, it, you know, I, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, either way, I think it would be interesting to watch without any sort of rooting interest, but it's it's Bumgarner against the Dodgers. So whether he's set up for to sort of, you know, get his uh, his butt handed to him or, or, you know, whether he has the chance to kind of shove against them, you know, he's going to be up and motivated. He, he sees that uniform and it's like waving the, the red cape to the Bulls. So <laughs> I'll definitely be keeping an eye on, on at least the score if I'm not sort of flipping back and forth split screen. All right, this has been episode 101 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Tanika Smothers for producing us. We will be back on Monday to tell you how the Padres Giants slugfest that we've all come to know and love, how that slugfest went. So thanks for listening and we'll see you then.